Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Pacers Pod. Coming at you guys and gals on March 30th. It's a Thursday. We are in the very end of the season. Five games left for the Pacers. Since my last recording, the Pacers have played 10 games. And uh, at the time of my last recording, I really thought it sounded like we were going to be making a push for the play-in based off of a few comments from players like Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner. Um, and frankly, those guys haven't been playing much over the past 10 games. So maybe um, other guys, maybe like Kevin Pritchard or so, um, have other things in mind and decide, you know what, we don't want to be the 10th seed. We want to be the 13th seed or the 12th seed. And uh, we want to load up one more time in that lottery and, and play our luck and uh, try to add one more piece while we're down here in the standings that uh, can, can slingshot us up into the playoffs and beyond, which I am 100% on board with at this point in time. Um, certainly would much rather see the Pacers, you know, end up with, fingers crossed, like a top five pick in this year's draft versus, you know, a play-in tourney. As, fu- as fun as that would be to see the guys, if we were, if we were rocking and rolling and we were still – you know, we still had Tyrese and Buddy and Miles out there playing, and it was like, uh, you know, we're winning good game, like we're competing and winning games and making it into the play-in, and then even if we won the play-in and made it into the playoffs, that'd be exciting. And then, you know, to get maybe maybe get one game um, where that we could win against like a Milwaukee or a Boston or Philly. Um, you know, as fun as that would be, it, and it would be fun, and, and if that were the reality that we were living in, I would be happy about that. Um, this feels, you know, this feels better. It feels better that we are, are, are not winning those games, that, that we're, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of tanking. We could whisper that. Um, not playing Tyrese, not playing Miles, resting Buddy Heald, um, you know, and, and, we're, and we're setting ourselves up in a situation where we, we should get a pretty good draft pick again. And then, uh, and then I think from this point on, it's, it's full throttle. Uh, no more. I would expect this team next year to be trying to win every single game. And if Halliburton is healthy enough to play, he's going to be playing. I don't, I don't anticipate us, you know, uh, trying our luck in the lottery again, lottery again next year. If we are there then we probably have some serious concerns. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, on today's podcast, I uh, got a couple things I want to talk about. One player I'm going to start out by talk, talking about in particular, I don't believe I've really talked too much about Andrew Nimhard. And um, he's somebody that, you know, I've watched the games I've, he's been near and dear to my heart all season long. I, I love, I love Andrew Nimhard's game, and I wanted to take some time to kind of treat Andrew Nimhard like I usually treat 
Halliburton or Matherin and really just kind of think about what is it that Nimhard brings to the team? What is it, like, why is he a special player? What could he be uh, for this team moving forward? And so I want to start this episode with just, you know, breaking down, breaking down Andrew Nimhard and, um, yeah, what I like about him. And, and, and to start with, I'm going to talk about the most important thing, which is what he does on the court. And, you know, to set the stage, if you're listening to this, you're, you're probably a Pacers fan. Um, you know, he's a rookie, and but he's an older rookie. So it, you kind of have to balance that out a little bit. It's like he's not a, a 20-year-old rookie. He's a 23-year-old rookie. Um, so you do kind of I think you need to expect a little bit of more expect a little more out of someone with Nimhard's at someone's at Nimhard's age than you would if, if you would have got him you know after his freshman year of college like he played four years with two elite programs with you know Florida and then Gonzaga before getting picked up by the Pacers and I remember when the Pacers drafted him I my expectations were so low. I mean, first of all, I don't watch a lot of college basketball, so I didn't know who Andrew Nimhard was. Um, and then secondly, you know, the Pacers go out and they sign him to this four-year deal. Um, it was like the most, it, it was like the biggest contract that a second-round rookie had ever received. Um, and it was like, wow, okay. And then you, and then you, and going into the season, you listen to Kevin Pritchard or like Rick Carlisle or, or you know, the front office of the Pacers, and they were talking so highly of Nimhard, how they had Nimhard as a, you know, one of the guys that they wanted. They they saw him as like a top twenty prospect, and they were just tickled to death that he was there for them to grab. And so, you know, they doubled down. Not only did they draft him, then they signed him to a four year deal. Um, and so he's a, I mean, he's a bargain He's a, because of what he has shown already in his rookie season. Um, but on the court for Nimhard, it's like the first thing that jumps out to me and the way that the Pacers have used him this year is his, his defensive chops. Um, on a team that, you know, I wouldn't say the Pacers are necessarily like a really bad defensive team, but... Defense would not be our strength. I would say you would define this team more on the offensive end and the pace at which we play. And especially for our franchise play, playing point guard Tyrese Halliburton. Nimhard is, is kind of the opposite in a way of, of Halliburton where, you know, Nimhard goes at it defensively. And we've been throwing him out against the league's best. Every night he catches the best matchup whether that be a guard or a bigger wing, Nimhard's got the assignment on the defensive end. So, it, you know, it's a, basketball is, you know, 50% defense, 50% offense. You got Halliburton who's, you know, in charge of the offense and Nimhard takes, takes charge of the defense in a way, you know, trying to lock down and contain the best players in the NBA. Um, and he's done an admirable job at it. It's surprising with his size. He's, uh, I think he's listed at like 6'3". He, he's certainly strong. Um, he, holds his, he holds his own very well, like against guys like, even like Kawhi Leonard, I remember a matchup against him. Or, um, you know, he checks guys like Jason Tatum. 
I, I don't feel like, oh, that's like a recipe for success in the playoffs as like we're, if we're matched up against Boston in the second round in two years and it's like we're going to throw Nimhart at Tatum. Like maybe, I don't love that, but maybe, but it's the best that we have right now on this year's team and, and that's the role that Nimhart has played. And he's done it in a way that is, uh, you just got to tip your hat to him because he, he's been he's been fantastic on the defensive end. Um, I was curious, I don't know, I, I, I wondered about his, you know, I feel, I feel like all the, one of the things that makes Nimhard really special on the defensive end is just the toughness that he plays with. And he kind of has a little bit of that. He's not quite as like scrappy as maybe like a TJ McConnell, but he is very... Um, He's very strong and very, uh, he's not afraid to take a charge, you know? And I was wondering, okay, uh, you know, where's, where's Nimhard rank in the NBA as far as charges, charges drawn? And he's currently 16th in the NBA, meaning, you know, 15, 15 other players have, have taken more charges this year than Andrew Nimhard. So, you know, right there is a good sign. As a rookie, to be able to get yourself into position and draw those charges he leads the Pacers in, in charges drawn. Um, just because I have the number here, he's taken 13 so far this year, um, and that's good enough for 16th in the NBA. So on the defensive end, Nimhard brings it. I think that's something that um, you know he'll be able to do his entire career, um, and especially over the next, you know, the the next three years of his contract, and then. You know, he seems like a guy that could be around for a long time as an Indiana Pacer, um, in my opinion. Uh, he's been very, very, very impressive on the defensive end. He's an efficient playmaker on the offensive end, too. So, you know, he's not just a guy that can he's not just a guy that focuses on defense and is more of a liability on the offensive end. He really he really balances both in a way that makes him um I think kind of unique as far as being just above average, I would say on, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, the way he does it, he does it very efficiently. His assist to turnover ratio is very, very good on the season. Um, he's got an assist to turnover ratio of 2.7, which is good enough for 32nd in the NBA. And if you look at the last 17 games of the season, so like since the all-star break, Nimhard, his assist-to-turnover ratio is up to 4.2, which is good enough for seventh in the NBA. If you look at who, like the, the current rankings, he would be seventh if his, career, if his season average was 4.2. And that's exactly where Tyrese Halliburton is at. You know, Tyrese is special on the offensive end. And so if you look at Tyrese's numbers this season, he's got an assist-to-turnover ratio of 4.2. He's currently seventh in the NBA. Over the past 17 games since the All-Star break, Andrew Nimhard has been um, the same. He's been right there at 4.2, good enough for seventh in the NBA. He's second in the in the in amongst rookies as far as assists per game. So he's averaging 4.3 assists. The leader is Jaden Ivey at five. And here's here's what makes Andrew Nimhard um, special is Ivey's getting more assists a game, but He's doing that with a 1.6 assist to turnover ratio. Now, Ivy, you know, Ivy's uh, role is much different as far as 
I think on the offensive end for Detroit, he's probably asked to do a little bit more creation. Um, but even, you know, Halliburton's missed a lot of time lately, and Nimhard's been handling the rock, and those, we haven't seen the turnover skyrocket. So, you know, that right there is, is, a, is a huge, you know, and, and once again, back to what I was saying earlier about Nimhard being an older rookie. I mean, Ivy comes in as a 19 or 20, 21-year-old. Nimhard's got a couple years on him. Um, but still, the point being, you know, to put it into comparison, Nimhard amongst the rookies, you know, he's dominating that category as far as distributing the ball, playmaking for others, and then also taking care of the ball, not making losing plays. The last game, uh, this would have been last night, the, the Pacers played the Bucks. It was a, it was a high scoring game. Um, uh, Nimhard had 15 assists and only had one turnover. So that obviously helps these numbers as I, as I uh, recalculated going into tonight's pod. But like, he's just very efficient with the ball and the numbers back it up. He, I would say he's elite in that category. Um, so that's something that you got to be really excited about. Not, a lo- not only does he, does he play defense at a high level, he distributes the ball um, at an efficient level. And then another thing on the court, like his three-point shooting is, I would say right now it's decent. You know, like he's shooting 35% this year uh, from three. He's hit some huge threes. He had a, you know, he had the game-winning three against the Lakers, which was one of the highlights of the season. And then uh, recently, there was a game against the Raptors where the Pacers were up by a couple points, but the game was, you know, the game was still certainly it could have gone either way. And, and Nimhard, you know, he knocked down a huge three-pointer that kind of put the Pacers uh, in the driver's seat to to be able to finish that game out. So he, you know, he he's hit some big threes. He takes, um, he's not just like a spot-up shooter, you know, his threes. Uh, well, I don't know if I, what I mean by that. It's like his role is not to just be a three-point shooter. Like he is, he's going to get the ball for, to other guys. He's going to play make. But when he does have the shot, you know, he's taking it. And his rookie season, 35%, I think he could build off of that. Um, his shot is something I think we, that we can rely on uh, moving forward. I, I, I kind of, you know, besides just on-court play, I think one of the things that's most interesting about Andrew Nimhard are just kind of the intangibles that he's bringing to this team and what I anticipate him bringing to this team in the future. Um, I, I put here, like, quiet grit. So what I mean is, like, he's not he's not a very... Um, he's not a very boisterous player. So, you know, if Nimhard makes a great play... He's not going to be pounded on his chest or taunting other players uh, on the other team. You know, he's just pretty just like low-key, um, like, yeah, I just did that. Um, but at the same time, where the, grit part, the, where the grit comes into play is like, he gives shit back when it's necessary. Like, he doesn't take it from other players. He's not going to get bullied around. Um, you know, he, he is... He's just deserving of a lot of praise, I think, in that category. Like, the maturity that he plays the game with, I really appreciate. Um, he's just very composed. Like, never too high, never too low. He's, he's, when he's out on the court, 
even if even when his shot's not falling, which he's had some games, you know, where he's shot the ball terribly. Like, I don't have numbers, but, you know, he might go 0 for 6 to start a game or whatever, like 2 for 9, you know, you name it. But even on the, even in those games, he, he still makes an impact out on the court, you know, because of what he can do on the defensive end and because of the way he can set up his team. And he just has a lot of... Um, he has a lot of balance to his game, and he's just a steadying presence out there on the court. Um, you know, another thing is he, to me, he feels like the epitome of a team-first player. I've, I've listened to a handful throughout this season of, of the interviews that, um, you know, the players may give after a game or during a practice. And when Nimhard's out there, whenever he's being interviewed multiple times this season, you know, he said things like, you know, that we're, we're a team, uh, you know, with guys that don't that don't care about individual stats. We just want to get better. We just want to win. And I, I think that you can definitely say that about Andrew Nimhard. Like, I think he can say that because he does embody that. And that's just, you know, excellent. Like that is that is a piece that you want to build with someone who, um, I don't know like he just he just doesn't he doesn't have to necessarily do anything because he does a little bit of everything so like if if he's if he's not hitting his shot it's okay you know it's it's okay because he's got a bunch of other things that he brings to the table and and just his team first uh kind of the spirit about him i think just makes for a great locker room presence a great teammate and uh someone that you uh someone that you want to go into playing basketball games with on your side to help you win. Because to me, Andrew Nimhard just, he, he carries himself. He plays like a winner and that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. We want guys like that. Um, you know, thinking about Nimhard on this team in the future, the, to me, um, I, I have an answer for this question of my opinion, but I think it'll be fun to just kind of hash it out a little bit. Like, is Andrew Nembhard? Here's a like back it up just a second. Like going into the season, I if you would have told me that Nembhard would have started, whatever sixty games, I think that's maybe what he's up to at this point in the season. I I I wouldn't have believed it. Like I didn't think he was going to even get consistent minutes. I thought he was, in my mind, he was a, a he was our third string point guard. Um, you know, it would be Tyrese and then it'd be TJ McConnell. And then if maybe there's an injury to one of those two, then we could expect to see Nimhard a little bit. Um, you know, also just being a second round pick, you just kind of have uh, lower expectations as a fan. But like he came in and he just took the starting line. He just, he just, he bypassed all of that backup stuff and just went straight into being a starter. And he's held the, he's held on to it all season long. And so that's why, you know, looking ahead, it's like, is he more valuable to this team as a starter or as a really good backup point guard? Um, so, you know, it, it, let's, let's, let's just pretend, you know, all right, what, what would it, what would some of the reasons be that he could be, you know, more valuable to a team that's contending for a championship as a backup point guard. Well, if he's a backup, 
you would imagine he's getting most of his minutes when Tyrese is on the bench. Um, so he's you're going to be able to utilize Andrew's playmaking a little bit more. So, you know, you put the ball in his hand, you know, 90% of the possessions that he's out there, he's the one that's running the offense. He's setting it up. He's, he's making all the decisions out there on the offensive end, and you really maximize his offensive potential, bringing him off the bench, playing against second units. Um, you know, I could really see Andrew, Andrew Nimhard anchoring our second unit and, and um, creating a, a, you know, we, we, it's hard to say that because we currently have TJ McConnell, who I really do enjoy TJ McConnell a lot. Um, but you would think with a guy like Nimhard, you know, he, when he's, you know, fast forward two years from now, Nimhard's 25 years old. And we've got a little bit more of a established roster as the years like roll over. And, you know, Nimhard is kind of your anchor on that second unit and could create some real chemistry on that second unit and could really make it a um, a valuable asset, not only in the regular season, but potentially into the playoffs where the, the Pacers might even be able to go a little bit deeper into their bench during a playoff series because we have such a cohesive second unit. Now that's, you know, way off into, into La La Land, but I think that I think that there's a case to be made where it's like maybe that would be best served for Andrew Nimhard. Maybe we could get more out of him in the second unit, being the being the main decision maker, the playmaker, you know, um, basically the Tyrese Halliburton of, of the second unit. And so if you're looking at that, like, you know, potential next season could look like Halliburton, Matherin, Buddy Heald. I'm going to say like our number five pick in this year's draft and then Miles Turner as our starting lineup. And then coming off the bench, you'd have Nimhard, Duarte, Aaron Neesmith, maybe Jordan Wara, Ijax or, or, or Jalen Smith. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think that's actually what's going to happen, but that's that looks pretty good on paper to me. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to that necessarily moving forward. Um, if, if, if Andrew Nimhard is your backup point guard, you know, you've got Tyrese Halliburton injury insurance, which is unfortunately becoming something that we may need to be ready for. Um, you know, I don't, I, I think a lot of the reason that Halliburton's missing these games down the stretch here is just that the Pacers are positioning themselves to, you know, they're okay with losing these games, but he did have a big injury earlier in the season, and, and Halliburton, the games are they're, they're adding up. He's missed 21 games so far this year, um, which you don't like to see, uh, but we're just going to look past that. And then I think, you know, even if, if Nimhard's coming off the bench as your backup point guard, there's no question about it. He's a, he's a playoff rotational piece, which is very valuable, and, and those are things that we need as we look to contend for a championship. You need playoff, you need rotational players, you need um, you need a real strong seven or eight, you know, as you as you as you move through the rounds of the playoffs. And I still think Nimhard could be could fill that role even if he's coming off the bench. Um, now, that's the case if you want to bring him off the bench. 
if you want to make him a starter, I think you're looking at a guy who's already proven. I mean, he's started so many games already this year. He just feels like a starter. Um, but it, it's it's interesting because you're thinking about Matherin being a, like for me at least. I've been Matherin's been coming off the bench for the majority of the season, and in my head, Matherin has always been a starter. So I've always been thinking, okay, is it going to be Buddy Heald or is it going to be Andrew Nimhard that moves to the bench, you know, for Benedict to come in? Um, but if Nimhard's a starter, you know, you what you're getting is you got a two-way player that has a ton of versatility. And to me, he is kind of like the guard version of a Thad Young. He is the glue guy. He is the guy that doesn't have to score to be effective out there on the court with your starters. And that's that's valuable in its own like you don't you don't you don't want five 20 point per game scores in your starting lineup. Like you not every there's not enough shots to go around with each with each you know each unit. So that to me makes Nimhard almost feel like he has like he I'm already giving it away. I think that Andrew Nimhard is a starter. From I mean, he's already proven that he is a starter. The Pacers seem to think he's a starter. Um, but I think going into next year, even when you bring Matherin from the bench to the starting lineup, if that's what happens, I there's if you know as as good as Matherin's been, you can still if if I take my you know my my Benedict Matherin beer goggles off for a minute, like there there are some things that aren't that great. Um, where I could see myself thinking, well, you know, maybe it's best for the Pacers, even if Nimhard does, Nimhard starts and Matherin comes off the bench. Like at this point in time, their games kind of feel that way. Like, like Matherin kind of feels more like a spark plug off the bench. Now that's not at all what I believe or, or what I hope to see, but I could see that kind of argument or, or, or if, if we're shocked next season, go like when the season starts and, and Matherin's still not starting, um, and Nimhard is, it's like, I think I could probably see the case um, for the Pacers organization to do that. But, you know, just back to Nimhard, it's like, he doesn't have to score to be effective on the court. So putting him in the starting lineup, now you can just distribute, like he can, and he can do it when he needs to. He can knock down open threes, he can get to the paint, he can finish in transition a little bit, but he can also set other guys up. And then he can be your folk. He can be he can be the guy that just takes on the hardest defensive assignment. That's what Thad Young did. Thad Young was the one that was guarding LeBron James, um, you know. And I Nimhard is not quite the defender. Well, I'm not saying he's not as good of a defender as Thad Young was, but he doesn't have the size that Thad did. So like, I like my chances with Thad on LeBron rather than than Nimhard. But from the guard position, Andrew Nimhard feels like a Thad Young type player to me. I'm not comparing the two players as in like their individual games. Like obviously dad wasn't that great of a shooter and those types of things, but just the, just the way that they just get their offense within the flow of the game. You don't have to run any plays specifically for them. Um, They're just team first guys. So, you know, I'm thinking out like what, what could be the potential for Andrew Nimhard if the paces are contending in a couple of years, like what would, like what could his stats be? And I, and these are very modest stats, but I think that's what you would love to see from Nimhard. And he feels like the kind of guy that would embrace this role. So I got him down for 12 points, four rebounds, 
five assists ignite, but I've got the shooting at 50, 40, 85. So 50% from the field, could he get that three-pointer up to 40? And could he shoot the, the free throw for 85%? Um, he doesn't get to the line a ton, um, but I would imagine that's going to grow a little bit. As, you know, I would imagine all of his numbers are going to grow just a little bit with more experience. He's a rookie. Um, and I don't know. I might, I might be selling him short. You know, he, he has definitely had games way better than those particular numbers. But I'm just imagining Nimhard out there with, with Halliburton and Matherin and Miles Turner and the number five pick of the 2023 NBA draft. And to me, he feels like the fifth scorer on that lineup, potentially, depending on who we draft. He's either the fifth or the fourth option. And that's fine. And I think that fits him great. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 uh, I love Nembhard. I'm so happy that the Pacers went out and, and, and drafted him and invested in him with that, with that contract. He has been as, as exciting as I'm as excited as I've been for Benedict Matherin this year um at this point in the season I feel like I am as equally excited for Andrew Nembhard and I never ever ever would have thought I would have said that you know going into the season like Nembhard is just blowing my expectations out of the water he is he is the kind of guy that you want to root for I love his game I love his poise I love the demeanor that he has out there on the court and he just feels like somebody that you, you want to go into the playoffs with. Give him a couple more years. He, to me, is part of the core, no question about it. You know, you got Halliburton, you've got Matherin now. We've got Miles locked up for a couple more seasons. Nimhard is right there. He, he's right there. If we were to move off of Nimhard, we would have to get something very, very special in return. And, and even then, I, I don't like it. I don't like the idea of that at this point in the game. We'll see. We'll see what kind of, what kind of um, jump he makes next season, what, what he can add to his game. Um, but he's already just so rock solid. It's just uh, he's a joy to root for. Thank you, Andrew Nimhard, for being on this team. Um, really looking forward to, to the rest. I mean, we got five games left. And it's been nice because since Halliburton's been out, Nimhard's been starting point guard rather than just starting off guard, you know, and, and we're getting to see a lot of run from him. I mentioned 15 assists to one turnover last night in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, he, he, Nimhard has just been absolutely phenomenal. I can't say enough. Can't praise him enough. No, no downside to Andrew Nimhard. It's, it's just been, uh, it's been all wins. So, um, all right. The next thing I want to talk about is just the uh, it's this is a little bit more of a sobering topic, but it, it goes it goes with um, Chris Duarte, Jalen Smith, and Isaiah Jackson. Um, heading into this season, there was so much in my mind. There was so much promise for all three of these players. I remember um, doing a podcast talking about. You know, could one of these guys potentially be an all-star? I, I, I believe I said that I thought Jalen Smith maybe has the best chance. I thought Jalen Smith was going to come into this year, you know, getting that contract, being so hungry. You know, um, I didn't – basically, it's just been a very – this season has been very disappointing in the development of these three particular players 
Chris Duarte, Jalen Smith, and Isaiah Jackson. Um, I thought for sure going into the season that we were going to hit on one or two of them. And by hit, I don't necessarily mean all-star. I just meant, you know, this guy, you know, you feel good about going into the playoffs with as, as we grow as a team. Rotational piece of the playoffs. Top eight guy on a roster that can compete for a, uh, you know, uh, a championship. And I can't say that I, I actually, I feel worse now than I, than I did a year ago about the prospects of any one of these three, you know, being a rotational playoff piece. Um, good news is that we can still be patient. Um, I think that's important to be patient. They're all three relatively young outside of Chris Duarte. Um, and they're all, it's not like any of these players are costing us 20 million a year, right? They're, they're all three of them are making $5 million or less a year going into next season. They're all three under contract next year. So unless the Pacers decide to move off of one of them or two of them or three of them in the offseason, like we're going to have a team next year that has Duarte, that has Jalen Smith, that has Isaiah Jackson. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to sell myself a little bit more hope with regards to these three players. Um, I'll start with Chris Duarte. I think the positive take with Duarte is you just look at this season and you say, you know what, this, this has just been the season from hell. Um, for Duarte, it, it's like he had no clear role from the get-go. Uh, with, Matt, with, with the Pacers drafting Matherin, it's like, okay, uh, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm the shooting guard that, that you know, scores the ball. Um, he's just had no clear role. Uh, he's had injuries. He has not found a rhythm um, this season. I think that maybe you could just say, you know what? It's just been one of those. It's just been a year that you just have to kind of control, alt, delete, pretend it never happened, and, and look at what he did as a rookie, and you know what he still brings to the table. I mean, he is an above-average scorer when he's feeling it. When he's got it going on, he he does things that you're like, oh damn, okay, this is nice. Um, you know, he had a 30 point game this year against Brooklyn. He can he can get his own shot. He is a good three point shooter. You know, and I mean his percentages this year have been has been awful. But if you just if you were to take out this year, um, he's a pretty good defender. I like the competitiveness that he brings on the court, although. This year has been more frustrating to me rather than enjoyable. Like, I feel like he's just been a little bit more whiny. Um, but there's a world, maybe what, maybe maybe the Pacers move on from Buddy Heald um, in this offseason, and now all of a sudden, you know, you got Matherin kind of penciled in there at the, in the starting lineup for Buddy, and now Duarte has a clear role. He is the heat check guy off the bench, maybe one of the primary scorers for our second unit. And, you know, he's under contract, like I mentioned, for next year. He's going to be here. And then the Pacers, can they have a team option for him the following year. So if he plays well and we want to keep him around for another year, we can do that. Um, and maybe he'll have a better role next year. And maybe the 
the minutes will open up for him where he can just kind of find a little bit more consistency. And then, I mean, I think as a scorer, that's probably pretty important um, to kind of have, to know what you're going into every game and to know like where you can pick your spots and stuff. It just feels like this, this whole season, he just has not been able to do that. Um, if you look at Duarte from a negative perspective, you know, the reason he hasn't found, a, uh, uh, I mean, the reason he didn't have a role this year is, uh, is because he just got outplayed. He got outplayed by Andrew Nimhard. He got outplayed by Aaron Neesmith. Um, and then, you know, certainly uh, Benedict Matherin as well, to the point where it's like Rick Carlisle would rather have Nimhard or Neesmith or Matherin out there than, than Duarte. Um and he, he's battled injuries. He's missed 31 games so far this year. He's currently injured, so we're not getting him to see. Which really sucks because right now is when we could really get a good look at Duarte and, and maybe he could give us some signs of hope going into the offseason. Um, but he's injured again. He's not able to play. He's missed 31 games. And frankly, he's forgettable. You know, when he's, he's not out on the court, I forget that he's on the team. It's like this season has not even felt like Duarte has been a part of it. And um, his numbers have been awful. You know, he, he's he's gone way down. He's shooting 37% from the field, 31% from three. Um, it's just been that kind of season. It's been really, really bad. Uh, I feel like... Um, I, it's, I think the thing is, like, it just feels like the team may have just moved on without him. And I don't know where that leaves him. He, you know, he's going to be on this team next year unless the Pacers move him. Or I, I would assume they're going to move. It's not like he's unplayable, uh, but we're just we're so loaded at the guard position this year. It just he we didn't miss him. And, and, and that that's one of the reasons that's like it makes me kind of feel bad about. Chris Duarte and the chances of him, you know, becoming a, a rotational piece on the, on this Pacers team moving forward is just like, it just doesn't feel like he's here anymore. Um, but we'll see. We'll just have to see. I, 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 uh, I don't even know what I want, right? Like, I think I find myself, I like those other three players a little bit more than I like Duarte. But you give me a 30-point night against Brooklyn like Duarte did, and it's like, dude, this guy needs to play. And I like, I like that. So I think it's all about how he bounces back after this season. Can he stay healthy? Number one. And can he, can he find him? Can he make his way back into the rotation and, and beat out guys like, like Neesmith, um, you know, going into next season. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, Isaiah Jackson, you know, positive for IJAX. He's super raw. We know that if you watch the Pacers play, Ijax is one of those guys that he just he does the things that most NBA players can't. He he'll have one or two, maybe three or four on a good night plays per game that you're just like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> I mean, this guy's awesome, right? Uh, he is currently tenth in the NBA in blocks per game, and he's only averaging 16 minutes a night. So he's when he's out on the court, he's blocking shots, he's catching lobs, he just does exceptional things. He's only 21 years old. He just turned 21. 
He's got time to develop if we can stay patient. Yes, this is year two. We didn't get to see. uh, We haven't seen much improvement. I don't think we've seen much improvement since his rookie season. It's, you know, I would have, you know, and one of the things, well, I'm going to go right into the, into the, um, well, no, let me, let me, let me back up just a minute. He, he, he is, he's young, he's young, he's, he's got, he's got elite athleticism. He's got great size. So he's good. I'm going to want to hold on to a guy like that as long as I can before I decide that I don't want him on my team anymore. Um, just recently the Pacers had, uh, they were in Detroit for two, two games in a row and which is, you know, real close to where Isaiah Jackson grew up and Jackson got the start, um, against the Pistons in the first game of that kind of mini series. And, um, he played fantastic. He said that I was watching the interview afterwards. He said he had 60 friends and family at the game. Um, and watching the game, that would have been about half of the half of the crowd. Um, no, you know, it was just like he was awesome. He he looked great in that game against Detroit. Now, granted, Detroit, they're the one of the if not the worst team in the league. And um, but like you know, Ijax played twenty six minutes. He had nineteen points, eleven rebounds, two steals, two blocks. Six of his rebounds came on the offensive end. You know, he did battle with foul trouble, but was able to kind of play through it. And he just goes to show, it, he like, he has nights like that where you're like, can he just come off the bench and give us that type of productivity? Um, and if he can, is he, a, is he a playoff, you know, a playoff uh, rotational piece? Because we need, we really need a, we, we're, I think we've got our guards pretty much covered, uh, but we need some bigs that can play in the playoffs that aren't starters uh, when I'm looking ahead. And is Ajax, could he potentially do that? But then you look on the negative side for Ajax and it's like, he's always in foul trouble. Religiously, he's in foul trouble. In that, in that mini series against the Pistons, game two, he goes out, he gets two fouls. He gets called for a second foul with, we're a minute and a half into the first quarter. So there's 10 minutes and 30 seconds left in the first quarter, Isaiah Jackson picks up his second foul. And, you know, you would imagine he's going to head to the bench because that's what you do when you get two fouls in the first quarter. You go to the bench. Um, but it was great. I, I remember I talked about this last season because he kept get, he was in foul trouble. And I was just like, leave him in the game and just, like, play him until he fouls out. If he fouls out in the first quarter, so be it. And it was perfect because the camera caught uh, during the broadcast – panned over. Isaiah gets called for the second foul, pans over to Rick Carlisle. Carlisle's looking over, talking to Lloyd Pierce, and they decided to just leave him in. And he was kind of like surprised that he just got left in the game. Um, and then the rest of that quarter, especially, you know, the minutes following, you could just tell he he was not going to pick up his third foul. So he was just very, um, very detrimental to the team, honestly, because he wasn't playing good defense. Guys were scoring on him because he was afraid. He wasn't bodying anybody. Um, but I did like the fact that Carlisle left him in just to kind of prove a point. Um, you know, also on the negative side with Ajax, besides the foul trouble, the way he plays defense, on one hand, it, it makes you gasp in awe 
because of the block shots that he can do. Um, but he, you know, he, he goes for so many, he goes for so many that one or two times a game, I see him jump for a shot that he really has no chance of getting just to leave his man wide open for an offensive putback. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, just learn or just use a little bit better judgment as to like when you can go get it and when you can't and when it's better just to stick your butt in your guy and keep him off the glass and maybe just get the rebound yourself. Um, I just, that's one of my little pet peeves. And then his offensive game, it's just, we haven't seen much growth and it really it's just catching lobs. He does a little bit, um, especially recently because he's been getting some more consistent playing time couple times I've seen him, you know, catch the ball maybe at the free throw line, take a dribble or two into the lane and, and have a finish in the paint. Um, but the shooting is just non-existent. And unfortunately, I really I really noticed this in this most recent game against the Bucks. They weren't guarding him. You know, he would catch the ball. Like, if he's looking to do like a little pick and roll or, or something with somebody, it's like, there's no role because his man is not even anywhere in the picture. He's just, his man's sagging all the way back. And then let's say that, let's say they do a pick and roll. Isaiah just, you know, sets the screen, stays put, gets the ball from the guard. And the big man never even comes up. Jackson multiple times doesn't even square his shoulders towards the basket, even though there's nobody within seven feet of him. He doesn't even look at the basket as in like, I'm going to shoot it. And that that's concerning because obviously that means his man is, is really causing fits for the rest of our guys. They're going, we're our, the rest of our guys are going four on five on the offensive end. Um, and he doesn't have any room to roll to the paint because his guy's just standing in the paint. So that's one thing that, not everybody has to shoot threes, but it, it just really feels weird seeing an NBA player hold the ball, not even look at the basket with nobody around him, just like looking to pass it. It's just like dead time. You know, it's like, all right, we're going to, he's just looking to give it up to somebody else who can hopefully go do something else. Um, whereas like, ideally, you know, Jackson would have the confidence to just square up and knock that down or develop the skills to dribble a little bit more into the paint uh, or, you know, kind of maybe make an attack move. I don't know. Do something because not looking at the basket is not working for, for anybody. Um, but once again, it, you know, and also next guy I'm going to talk about is Jalen Smith. But between Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, and Jalen Smith, if I was going to rank – I don't even know if I would call it confidence in, but just like hope. The guys that I like, if, who I hope and think, it's kind of a combination of, of all those things can stick around and can be a part, maybe earn a second contract with the Pacers, one of these three guys. Uh, I'm still putting my money on Isaiah Jackson. Um, as big as his flaws are, I love the guy. I, I love seeing him on the court. And I'm just basically banking on the fact that he's 20. He just turned 21 years old. 
give them another year or two to, to continue to just get stronger and to, and to develop his, his basketball kind of IQ and feel for the game. Um, just gain confidence out there. Learn, you know, how to stay out of foul trouble a little bit more. And, and I, 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 like, I like the idea of Isaiah Jackson, you know, being a rotational big for us in the playoffs in the year 2026. Um, maybe. More so than I think I see from Duarte and, and maybe even like Jalen Smith, who, uh, you know, on the positive side for Jalen Smith, he's probably the best rebounder on the team. If you were just going to do like some sort of rebounding drill um, and Daniel Tice wasn't there, because I just haven't seen Tice play that much, I'm not quite sure how good of a rebounder he is. But you line up Isaiah Jackson and Miles Turner and Jalen Smith, and, and we're doing a rebounding drill. Like I think Jalen Smith probably wins that. Um, he was a lottery pick. He's 23 years old. He's got great size, six foot ten. He, uh, in theory, has a has a he's a big with some touch. You know, he shoots the three. I just mentioned you know Isaiah Jackson not even squaring his shoulders to the basket. Jalen Smith, he's looking to shoot it. He'll shoot it. He'll shoot transition threes. Um, he'll spot up out there every once in a while. Like he puts them up. Like to to J- Jalen Smith, he believes that he's the three point shooter. Um, unfortunately, this year, you know, it's like he's shooting twenty seven percent from three. So they're not going in, but it does feel really good when he makes them. I will say that it's like hell yes when Jalen makes a three. It feels really good. Um, I don't know. I don't have too much else like positive to say about Jalen Smith outside of just like he seems to be a good teammate. Um, if you're looking at the probability of, of Jalen Smith, you know, becoming somebody that you can roll with in the playoffs from a negative lens, it's like, well, he was given the starting power forward position. Now, it didn't work with Miles Turner this year and he moved to the bench. But unfortunately, like, he got replaced by a six-foot-five player in Aaron Neesmith. Um, so he got the starting lineup probably for about 20 games. The Pacers rolled him out there as a starter. Then he gets moved to the bench. Then he gets moved to, you know, out of the rotation. And now he's just kind of in and out as we need him. Um it's just kind of like, all right, that sucks. Then you look at, you know, the Pacers didn't really have to give up much to get him in the first place. The Suns were, they let him go for practically nothing. I mean, they are playing, I guess, Torrey Craig, who the Pacers traded to the Suns for Jalen Smith. He might even be starting for the Suns. But it just doesn't feel like Jalen Smith was their number 10 pick two seasons ago, you know, when they let when they traded him for Tory Craig, so they they obviously were okay cutting cutting ties early with 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 Jalen. Um, I don't know. He just, I it's like you just want to see a little bit more like killer instinct. I do at least from Jalen Smith. Like I want to see him be a little meaner out there on the court and use his body a little bit more effectively. Um, 
he just feels a little bit like he just seems to be kind of going through the motions a little bit more than what I would like. So I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. But the, the, this was a disappointing topic. So that's why I do feel a little disappointed right now. Like Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, and Jalen Smith, all three of them, I had really, I had a lot of optimism heading into the season for all three, and it's, it feels like it's, it's hard, it's harder to look, it's harder to be optimistic about all three of them going into next season. However, they will all, they, they all three will be on the team next season, uh, unless we move them in the off, in the off season. And so we should get another look at it. We can we can rinse and repeat uh, and see what we've got. I, I like I like my I, I definitely like Isaiah Jackson. I want to see more. Um, I'm interested in Chris Duarte and Jalen Smith. Surprise me, please. Um, okay, moving on. Other notes. I wanted to talk about um, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Benedict Matherin. Comes back from that horrendous ankle injury, and he starts. They put him right to the starting lineup, so he's played the last six games coming off that ankle injury. Benedict's been in the starting lineup. Um, what I wanted to talk about was just the um, Jekyll and Hyde effect of these six games. There were two games in the last six where Benedict started next to Tyrese Halliburton, and I'm I'm gonna get ready to watch those games. I'm looking at the I'm watching the broadcast. They bring up the starters for both teams, and 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 you see Benedict Matherin, Tyrese Halliburton, and I'm just like, oh yes, here we go, baby. Pour me a drink, pop some popcorn. This is what I came to see, and it was it was laughable how bad Benedict played in these past in the two games with Tyrese Halliburton. So it was against the Celtics and against the Atlanta Hawks. In those two games, Benedict Matherin averaged three points, one and a half rebounds, one and a half assists on four field goal attempts per game and zero free throw attempts, 25 minutes, um, you know, 25 minutes a game in those two. Wow, that's got to be the worst two-game stretch of his rookie season. You probably can't even pick. You could pick maybe, like, if you went through all of his game logs and tried to pick the two worst games, you'd probably come up with better stats than the two that he just played as a starter next to Tyrese Halliburton. Um, so why? Like, what was up What was up with that? Why, why was Matherin so out of sorts? in those two games. I, I don't know. I, I, I was, um, I was very disappointed, honestly. Like I want to see more than anything. I want to see Halliburton and Matherin develop that dynamic duo, uh, that kind of like NBA, like if you're playing NBA jam and you want to be the Pacers, like let's roll with Halliburton and Matherin, you know, but it's like, we haven't seen shit from that combo this year. Nothing. Hardly anything. Um, but then you compare that to the four games that Benedict started without Tyrese, and he's averaging 22 
points per game, four and a half rebounds, one and a half assists, shooting about 14 times a night, getting to the free throw line six and a half times in 34 minutes of action. So he is, you know, basically better than what he's been doing all season. Um, it's just it's just odd that Tyrese wasn't out there. So I don't know what that I'm not saying I'm not trying to draw any conclusions from this. It's obviously two games where those two are out there, but it's just it's it's really odd that those that he played that poorly in those two games uh, with Tyrese, and then he's played um, you know that much better without Tyrese as a starter. Uh, this last game, you know, this is one of the things. I, I, I praise Benedict Matherin all the time because he is, uh, frankly, he's, he's one of, I mean, he's certainly, I would have said he's my favorite player. I'm holding, like, I have kind of hope that he will be my favorite player on this team. Um, at this point, you could probably say Tyrese is, and then Nemhard is making a strong case as well because of things like, Matherin just still, I mean, and I've, I've said this before, but just, you know, when he doesn't get the call, when he tr- drives to the lane and doesn't get the call, you know, he's always looking at the ref and not hustling back on defense. Um, he just, and I don't know, he's 20, he's 20 years old, right? So it's like, um, he's not like the player that he currently is right now is not who I anticipate him being in two or three seasons, four seasons from now. But there is a moment in the game against Milwaukee where he had a good game. Like he, uh, I think he ended up with like 29 points. But Drew Holiday, who was cooking the Pacers all night, Drew Holiday has a career high, 51 points against the Pacers. And there was a play, I think it was in the second half, where Matherin, you know, kind of drove on Drew. Drew tried to take a charge, got called for the block. Matherin gathered, you know, rose up, gathered, banked it in. So we got he got the and one call. And then he walks over to Drew Holiday, who's on the ground, because you know he just tried to take the charge. And he just, you know, I don't know what he said, but he was, you know, he's talking to Drew, taunting him. And he gets called for the technical foul. And then Holiday hops up, you know, and he's kind of like <clears throat> standing his ground and whatnot. But just I don't know. I can go. I go either way on this. Like on one hand, it, it's it's entertaining. It's entertaining to see you know a player that has that much just bravado, I suppose. Um, but then on the other hand, you're like, man, just like we're getting beat. We are, you know, we're 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 projected. We're like one of the seven worst teams in the league. Like, kind of know the situation a little bit better, and maybe have a little bit more humility, but then it's like, well, Matherin is, uh, he is who he is, you know, he, he, that's the way he goes about his game. And I, I do love that about him. So I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I just, I didn't like that particular play. Tyrese does this sometimes. I like if he's Tyrese will be killing it and he'll make an awesome play and the other team We'll call a timeout, and Tyrese will look over to the other bench and, and make the timeout gesture with his hands. And I always feel like, eh, it's just not very, like, it's not very tasteful to me. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. I'll still, I'll still root for these guys. 
Um, so Matherin, it's just great to see him back. Great to see him starting. It makes me think, since they put him in the starting lineup, he's probably not going back to the bench um, for the rest of this year or moving into next season. And I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. So I'm good with that. Um, all right. Another note. Aaron Neesmith appreciation. Kind of like Andrew Nimhard, Aaron Neesmith's a guy I've been watching all season long. Haven't said a ton about him, um, but he's been impressive to me. And I love the energy, the toughness, the athleticism that Andrew Nim- or that Aaron Neesmith plays with. I was kind of expect like, you know, starting the season, I was thinking Duarte would be playing way more than Aaron Neesmith. I, I, I didn't know for sure if Neesmith would even have a role. Um, but not only does he have a role similar to Nimhard, he's starting most of the games. He's one of our starters. Um, he, yeah, he just, he brings it on the defensive end, which is, which is definitely needed. Um, he just plays with a ton of energy. He's, he's a streaky three point shooter, but it kind of balances out to where he's at, uh, 36% for the year. So pretty good overall. He's a lottery pick. He's young, 23 years old. Six foot five, but he plays, he can play bigger. You know, I think we, we start him as like a power forward, but he can obviously play like, he can play like this power forward, small forward, shooting guard position for you. And I think that he has a potential role on the Pacers team as it, as we phase into being contenders. I see Aaron Neesmith as a rotational piece on a playoff team. Um, I do see him as a an above average role player coming off the bench, playing either two, three, or four on that second unit, and being a really nice piece on this team that helps us win a lot of regular season games. And as he moves into the prime of his career, say when he's 26, 27, 28, if we have him on our team still, it's like, he can help us in the playoffs. Uh, he he is in. He's a he's like not quite good enough to be a good starter, but probably a little too good to be a bench player. And those are the kind of guys that you know I think we need to have. And I just I really like Aaron Neesmith. I appreciate his game a lot. I appreciate the way that he gives it all his all on the court. And um, yeah, he's just been nice. And another guy, Jordan Mora, I talked about him on the last pod because uh, we just picked him up in that trade with Milwaukee, but he just keeps cooking, and I don't love Mora, but I like him, and maybe he's somebody that I would put him maybe just a tier below Aaron Neesmith as far as like where I value him on the team, but I value him more than you know, a lot of other guys. And since the all-star break, basically 17 games, Wara's averaging 25 minutes a night, putting up 14 points, four and a half rebounds, two assists, doing it on really efficient shooting, 51% from the field, 47% from three. And he's doing that, uh, he's making 2.13 per game. So he's he's getting the shots up, he's scoring the basketball, I mean, shit, there was a game, what was that? What game was that? It might have been against Dallas. The Pacers got beat pretty bad that game, but I think it was the, it was the second quarter 
Um, Vora checks in. He didn't play at all in the first quarter. He started the second quarter on the court, and he put up 25 points, I believe, in the quarter, tied a franchise record, something like that. He was just on fire, um, and he made it look easy, honestly. It wasn't like he was – it, it kind of happened within the flow of the game, for the at least – for the majority of the quarter until he started realizing what was going on. And then he didn't get subbed out and he kept shooting and he was knocking some down. But just, I mean, that's, that's, that's real firepower there to be able to put up 25 and a quarter. Um, not, 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 not a lot of guys can do that. So we might have something here with Bora. I'm excited to see five more games of him this year. And then just see what, see what happens moving into next season. Is, is he somebody that, you know, you know, you're going to play probably 10 guys for sure during the regular season, so we're probably going to get another look. He's under contract. I don't think they'll probably move on from Rora. And uh, I got to say, I- I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing more of him and, and to seeing where his, his game goes. Um, all right. The last thing I want to talk about is just kind of take a real, real, real early look into next season because – as I was going through the, those, like who I've talked about tonight, right? You've got uh, like Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, Aaron Neesmith, Jor- Jordan Wara. Like they're all, you know, they're NBA players. Um, and but like, like where do they fit on this team moving forward? Do any of them fit? Do all of them fit? One, two, three, four. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm trying to figure out. We got a lot of guys who are going to be on the team next year, and they're going to need minutes. Um, so I'm really curious, you know, this off season to see what the front office does to kind of thin this roster out a little bit, because you only get 15 guys, and for sure right now we've got Halliburton, Matherin, Nimhard, Miles Turner, and I'm going to say. I'm trying to speak it into existence, although I would love a higher pick, but number five pick in the NBA draft. That's five guys right there. Those are, those are your starters in theory. Then you got Buddy Heald, TJ McConnell. There's seven guys. Then you got Aaron Neesmith, Chris Duarte, Jordan Rora, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. All So now you're up to 12 players. So already, two of those guys are going to be getting screwed on minutes if everybody's healthy. Um, you pick, right? It's like probably either Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith, and then maybe Duarte or maybe Rora. I don't know. So that's 12. And then you've got three more positions because we've got three additions. Besides our own first-round first pick next year, we've got three others. We've got the Cavs pick, the Boston pick, and then Houston Rockets early second round pick. So those three, I mean, we're going to want to see those guys play. Like we don't want to just draft them and, 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 and see them just sent to the G League or something, you know? And then you've also got Daniel Tice, which makes 16 players. And now that's not including, which these guys are not under contract going into next year, but O'Shea Brissett, George Hill, James Johnson. So I'm just very curious to see what what we do here. Um, is there a, what do we do with you know is Buddy Heald and T.J. McConnell are they going to be around? Um, 
you know, that five man, and these guys are all kind of in the same age, like Neesmith, Duarte, Rora, Ijax, and Sticks. Like, what are we doing with those guys? I think Neesmith certainly lives on. I'm not so sure about the other four. We're going to have another influx of young talent that we're going to want to see. It just feels like we have to seriously do some consolidation and figure out we got to pick a couple of these guys and ride with them um, because it's looking like it's going to be a crowded roster again next year, and that doesn't necessarily bode well for anybody because you're trying to play everybody. Um, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Just something to keep an eye on. And then, um, yeah, I think that's going to be uh, – that's about it, you know. Currently, we got five games left of the season. We've got the Thunder tomorrow night, the Cavs on Sunday, which I'm going to be at that game. I'm going to Cleveland. I'll be there. I'm going to wear my Halliburton jersey. Hopefully he plays. Um, Knicks, Pistons, Knicks. And then that's a wrap on the season. It happens so fast. It just It's like there's so much buildup. You spend three or four months just kind of daydreaming about the season, and then it just hits you and it's over just like that um but currently the pacers are you know if, if you're watching nba if you're following you know root for the magic root for the blazers root for the wizards we're in that fifth sixth seventh eighth best odds currently for the draft lottery so uh that'll be exciting when the time comes maybe maybe things bounce our way um we'll just have to wait and see but uh that's going to do it for this episode thank you so much for checking it out peace and love everybody have a good one